Welcome to InsideCatholicPhilly.com, where we explore the Catholic faith as it's experienced in church and in everyday life. I'm your host, Gina Christian, here with our editor, Matt Gambino. And along with our guests, we discuss the Catholic take on everything from sacraments and Sunday Mass to social media and sports, based on CatholicPhilly.com's award-winning news and commentary. Thanks so much for spending a few moments with us here at CatholicPhilly.com. I'm your host, Gina Christian. Well, our editor, Matt Gambino, and I recently caught up with a familiar voice in the Philadelphia Archdiocese. Retired Archbishop Charles Chaput joined us to talk about his new book, Things Worth Dying For, Thoughts on a Life Worth Living. The book, available from publisher Henry Holt and Company, surveys just that— What makes both life and death worth it? Let's take a listen to what the Archbishop shared with us. Archbishop, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you, Gina. And good morning, Archbishop. Um, you morning, are Matt. Good morning. You are the author of this new book, and uh, you're also the retired Archbishop of Philadelphia. So my natural question is, how is retirement treating you? Uh, retirement is treating me fine, but it's been a strange retirement with mm. the lockdown that came with the coronavirus pandemic. So I don't know if I really know yet what retired life is normally like. And I'm looking forward to things getting back to normal so that I can begin to really experience uh, what I was looking forward to. <laughs> what are you specifically looking forward to doing once the restrictions ease up a bit? Well, the first thing I want to do is go out to Kansas to see my family. I haven't seen them mm. for a very, very long time. And I was hoping to do some traveling in the course of my first uh, months of retirement. Um, I was even thinking of going to Israel maybe for a month or so, and none of that worked out because I uh, went into lockdown about three weeks after I retired. So I, I have a little bit of travel in mind and uh, spending time with family and friends. Very good. Archbishop, you, uh, in the book you write, as I guess many of retirees would, about looking back on a, a long, rich life. And, of course, also forward to eternal life in heaven as an older person. But you also write a lot about friendship. So I'm wondering, was your motivation, could you say, showing concern for the present of your friends here today and for the future, looking back on the context of your life? Well, the motivation uh, is kind of interesting. I Every time I've written a book, and this is number four, I've sworn I won't do another one, <laughs> uh, Jesus uh, in, the, in the scriptures mentioned that uh, after a while a woman— forgets the pain of birth and is willing to have other children. I guess after some time passes, uh, people who write are willing to write again. And uh, the the publisher actually asked me to consider writing uh, some reflections on my life. I think, in a sense, they may have been looking for something more autobiographical than what I gave them, because this isn't really about me. It's about the, the things that I consider worth dying and living for. So it was it was born out of, you know, kind of a, a review of life from this perspective of retirement, but also um, a little pressure from outside because uh, they thought I would have something significant to say. And I hope that I have. I hope people find the book useful. The book's title is uh, Things Worth Dying For. I imagine in, in our Western culture, many readers of the book, at least in the Philadelphia area, might not likely be asked to lay down their life. But what, in your view, makes a life worth living? I would think that's a, a key point, a corollary to the, the title. Yeah, both of you are much younger than I am, but when we were kids in Catholic school, I don't know if you had the same experience. Uh, mm. The sisters who taught would often ask the, ask us in our early 
years in school whether we would be willing to be martyrs. And I think everybody in class would raise her hand or his hand because we thought that was a noble thing to be willing to do, to lay down our life for Christ. Now, whether or not we would have the courage to do it is another <laughs> issue, but there was something uh, noble about laying down your life for what was really significant. And I, I believe that to be true. Uh, from that time on and into the present, I believe that there are many things worth dying for. Um, actually, there are many people worth dying for. And that Jesus taught us by his own example that uh, a true friend is somebody who's willing to lay down, lay down their life for you. So the, the book is kind of a compilation of the things that I thought uh, we ought to consider that seriously and important in our lives. Um, some natural things like honor and integrity and, and uh, you know, the natural virtues that make us noble. But more, most importantly, of course, God and our faith and the church uh, are kind of supernatural things that we would uh, want to lay down our lives for. But there's also intermediate things that are important. Um, for example, patriotism is a virtue uh, based on the fourth commandment of loving our families. We should love our national family. And patriots have been willing to die for their country. Uh, the church, of course, is the most important thing in the life of a clergyman. And she's our mother, so which the church should be important for all of us. So we should be willing to consider laying down our lives for the teachings of Jesus in his community. God and, and family and friends are the most uh, uh, significant things to consider laying down our lives for. It's easier to die for a someone than a something, wouldn't you say? Yes. You know, that's, that's the reason why the church, refer, uh, the Catholic community refers to the church as a mother rather than as an institution. You know, I don't know that anybody would lay down his or her life for General Motors or something like that, but <laughs> we, we all do, would be willing to lay down our lives for our mother. And the church, you know, is more than just a, an institution for those of us who are Catholic. So I, I, I think in the end, anything that's really worth dying for is related to a person. Sometimes our own integrity is worth dying for, and we're dying for our own honesty and our own uh, faithfulness to what we say we believe in. So we should be willing to die for ourselves, too. Uh, die to ourselves and, and for the best self uh, is what I think the gospel invites us to do. You also talk about the church. I thought it was an interesting point where uh, you get thoughts from various lay people you know and various clergymen that you know. And the lay people tended to say they love the church as a mother, whereas the clergy say they love the church as a spouse. That was a very interesting distinction. I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit. Well, you know, those of us who are baptized and the clergy are more more importantly baptized and ordained uh have the church as our mother she's the source of our spiritual life um but in addition to the church being our spiritual mother those of us who uh, get ordained and are celibates uh have traditionally associated the church with us with a spouse a spousal relationship mm. and the way you love your mother and the way you love your spouse are entirely different you know you are you leave home at a certain point and marry someone and then uh, your primary relationship is to the person to marry. And so for priests, that, that really is a church community. We call it uh, clergy churchmen because the church is, has the same relationship to our lives as a spouse would have in the life of a married man. Um, and I think uh, you know we're, we're, we're required, of course, to love the church as our mother as, as well as our spouse as priests. But there's a double love. And you know that chapter on the church is my favorite part of the book. 
exemplifies what the church is supposed to be about, where the laity and the clergy are co-responsible for the church. It's not just important what clergy think, it's also important what the laity think. And, you know, the greatest part of the church are the laity, and the clergy look pretty foolish without them. And so it's really important for us to understand our co-responsibility and have respect for one another. I did find that a real interesting uh, interplay with the, the actual quoted material from various friends of yours and their experience with the church. Some was a difficult experience, but I got a real strong sense of hope, whether they were a layperson or ordained. And that's right. They, they really are examples to me of faith. And uh, I must say that I've been as encouraged by the faithful life of lay Catholics that I've been encouraged by the faithful life of uh, the little priests and religious. And I'm encouraged to hear that laity do see the church as a mother. I have to be honest, Archbishop, when the process of determining who would be your successor was still very much going on here in Philadelphia, media were starting to kind of take bets. And there was some concern that people were looking at the church strictly as a kind of democratic institution, which is not at all the ecclesiology. So that is refreshing to me to hear church as mother. But do you think that by and large, this society really doesn't get that, that they do see the church as no different than any other democratic institution and, you know, wish it to be basically conducted and evolved accordingly? I, I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, the church is surprisingly democratic, though, I must say, you know, the, the highest level of church authority is the Holy Father. And he is elected, you know, by a group of people, a college of cardinals. And uh, even it's interesting, we refer to the appointment of the bishop as his election. Um, because he's been chosen, uh, actually, the, co- the Congregation for Bishops has a big role in proposing candidates to the uh, Pope for ch- choices. So there is a, a lot of uh, actual democracy within the Catholic Church. And the tradition of the Church, you know, the, uh, the small t, is referred to as democracy of the dead. You know, the people in the past have a place in the life of the Church today. Uh, which comes to us through, through tradition. But, you know, people want want the church to be under pressure, like political organization under pressure, and and uh, there's not much uh, stomach in the world today for the supernatural, and so the church is perceived as a natural institution, um, partly because uh, the Catholic membership, including the clergy, have often made the church uh, a rather sinful community, and it looks mm-hmm. like the rest of the world around us. Uh, so the more we focus on the, the, the supernatural reality of the church, the better the church will be, actually. And, you know, just to kind of break off into a very specific area here, as I'd mentioned before we went on the air, while I was reading your book, I had just finished interviewing Archbishop Perez and several archdiocesan clergy and religious on the issue of gun violence. And really at the heart of that is an anthropology that is one of despair. And your book really gets to the crux of the matter with that. How do we view life? How do we view death? Could you talk a little bit more about why it is so important to see death? death and life, in their proper relation. One of the traditions of the church, uh, this is present in our liturgical life, as well as uh, the uh, writings and preachings of the the fathers of the church, is the importance of what the church refers to as the four last things. That at the end of our lives, uh, we're going to face death, and with death comes judgment, and the result of uh, that judgment, which is based on what we've done, is either life with God, which we call heaven, or life apart from God, which we call hell. Um, 
And of course, we know that God desires the salvation of all people. So we look towards the end of our life with a great deal of hope uh, and confidence that this isn't all there is. There's much, much more. And it's important for us to live our lives here in such a way that uh, we make ourselves capable of receiving the gift of God's love in, in eternity. Uh, and so that makes this life here very, very important. But also we have, uh, we have hope, which is confidence in the future. And no matter how badly things are going here, no matter how sad our personal lives may have become because of circumstances, that we know that uh, there is a future that God has planned for us that uh, is the fulfillment of, of, of the promises of Jesus, and that gives us great hope. Mm. Uh, gun violence, is a, violence of any kind, of course, is uh, an expression of a lack of hope because you're trying to control things in a way that you're willing even to sacrifice the life of other people for your own ends. And that, you know, that kind of violence is just the opposite of what uh, we believe as Catholics to be uh, uh, what leads to happiness. What leads to happiness is the ability to forget oneself and uh, to really live our lives uh, with focus on others. You know, that uh, and the whole book is about you know, what are we willing to uh, love more than our own lives? And who, who do we love more than ourselves? And uh, hopefully the answer to that is God and our, our neighbors. And we're willing to live our lives totally in service of both. And I do think it, it takes a certain amount of courage by people. Um, toward the end of the book, you write, I think this is a very interesting passage, we do have obligations in the world, duties that deny us the convenience of silence in the public square or escaping today's conflicts by hiding in the hills. Uh, and then you say, likewise today, as St. Augustine might have done 1,600 years ago, we need to do whatever we can to encourage our friends in Jesus Christ and to make the world a better place in the light of the gospel. So it does take, uh, imagine, some courage to live that Christian discipleship today. It takes huge courage to mm. live the Christian uh, faith today. And I think the most important people to ex exemplify that courage are parents, because mm. in the raising of their children, they have to both exemplify courage by their own actions, but also encourage the whole family to be courageous and to live the gospel in the face of a contradiction and and sometimes uh, opposition, not only contradiction, but uh, active and aggressive and uh, violent, even violent opposition. So, you know, courage is an extraordinarily fundamental foundational virtue for those who want to be serious Catholics. And you had mentioned at one point in the book that the problem with the modern self isn't that it's too strong, but that it's too weak. And that just ties in with what you said about courage just now. Yes. You know, this whole talk today about cancel culture is a sign that the, the modern culture is uh, too weak. I mean, the, the understanding of self that we're, we're under pressure always to give in to the the least common denominator the most popular cause today and if, if we don't do that we're we're threatened with being canceled and of course uh, i think the, the the devil and his minions have been trying to cancel the christian culture for a very long time it's the easy way out and it's it may sound strange to readers that a book called things worth dying for thoughts on a life worth living is really a message and a refreshing one i might add of hope archbishop charles Chaput, thank you so much for spending some time with us we will point readers to your book through our website catholicphilly.com we wish you all the best in your continued retirement and do you think maybe one more book might be on the horizon uh, i've sworn this is the last one but i've done it before <laughs> 
Um, also, I just want to say uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak today, and and God bless this wonderful archdiocese of ours, the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, and we want to pray together for Archbishop Perez as he uh, leads the church into the future. Indeed. Amen. Is there a final blessing? Can we do a blessing digitally, Archbishop? Well, I, I, I can certainly send my own hope and prayers and say the words. Uh, God will have to decide whether it's effective. It's, <laughs> it would be in person. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he show his face to you and have mercy on you. May he turn his countenance to you and give you peace. May Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Archbishop. We hope to see you in person soon. I'm going to be roaming around. Thank you. (laughs) We hope to see you. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. So you've heard our thoughts. What about yours? Reach out to us and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Catholic Philly or visit us online at CatholicPhilly.com. Thanks so much to Matt Gambino, the editor of CatholicPhilly.com. I'm your host, Gina Christian. And until next time, may God bless and keep you. This podcast has been a production of CatholicPhilly.com. Music by Dustin Taylor Phillips. For more information, visit us online at CatholicPhilly.com.